So we're in this series. Um, uh, um, what is it? You ask for it? Is that, I can only remember the other title that I can't say. So uh, 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 you ask for it. And uh, so you guys turned in a bunch of questions. Cody last week um, just kind of took them on the fly. I thought he did a great job. What did you guys think? Yeah, really good job. Yeah. Um, and so what happened was we got so many questions. I mean, we got just tons of questions. And so we decided over the next few weeks, uh, we were kind of planning on this anyway. We had no idea this many questions. Um, we're going to just tackle a bunch of them. So I looked through all the questions asked, and, uh, and I found a whole bunch of questions about heaven and, uh, and, and about what happens after you die. And, and so I thought I would just maybe address some of those today. And a lot of what I'm going to say is going to be re- uh, review for a lot of you, but even my wife said she learned something, and that almost never happens when I speak. So, uh, so maybe you will learn something as well. What happens uh, when you die? And um, so, do you uh, do you kind of recycle, um, uh, reincarnate until you get it right, and then kind of melt into nothingness? Um, do you um, do you just go away? It's just done. It's over. Uh, what what happens? So here's what the biblical view of what happens when you die is: is a place called heaven. And for those who believe in Christ, uh, you go to heaven. And so I want to tell you what the biblical view is. Somebody else could tell you what uh, Buddhist believes or somebody else. But I'm going to tell you what Christians believe uh, because that's what the Bible says. And I think you're going to find it encouraging because I find it incredibly encouraging. Problem is, we don't talk a lot about heaven because you got to get there, you got to cross this river called death. And it scares the daylights out of us. And it's because it's unnatural. It was never intended. God did not create us to die. And so when something dies, it feels awful. It does. It's because it was never supposed to happen. And it happened because humankind decided to sin. Uh, it's mostly Eve's fault. Adam got a little bit of blame. But, um, <laughs> and every one of us since then. So um, let me begin with a couple of passages about heaven. Because the question is, if there is uh, life after this, uh, this life, how do you get to this place called heaven? And the great news, it's called the gospel, the good news, is it's not that hard. It's not nearly as hard as we want to make it. And yet it's incredibly uh, difficult in some ways to live it out. And so I want to read just a couple of passages. I don't want you to hear what I believe today. I'm going to have a couple of those. I'll warn you uh, that they're not necessarily scripture. They're just what I believe, um, taken from an educated guess. But, uh, but I want you to hear on this one especially what the Bible says. And here's what it says. Thomas said to him, this is after uh, this is Christ is trying to tell them that he's going away and he's, going to, and he's predicting the cross and the resurrection. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right off the bat, we find a claim of exclusivity. I am the one, the one. How narrow-minded of God. wait a minute, let's not act like that's not what gets said to us, right? When I say to someone, uh, I remember the first time I talked about this um, publicly, I was, I was just out of uh, uh, biblical training and uh, my biblical studies degree, and I was invited to a church, and I'd say this because they had a building that didn't believe in anything, and, uh, and, and so I was the week after the Buddhist and the week before the Hindu and in, in their confirmation class, so I wasn't quite sure what we were confirming these kids into, but I thought I'd do my best shot. So my first sentence was, I believe there's a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. And the most shocked person in the room was the pastor. 
he kind of looked around like, does people still believe that stuff? And, uh, but I have to tell you that uh, every religion uh, exclaims, uh, claims exclusivity. We're so, we're so kind of inclusive and pluralistic in our society. Well, how can you claim to be right? I'm not claiming to be right. I'm reading you what Jesus said, okay? He claimed to be right. Matter of fact, he claimed to be the way to go to heaven. And so if you have uncovered that, I would, I would suggest you study the person of Jesus to see if he's someone you could trust or not. Rather than be offended on some modern version of what's politically correct, maybe you should look for truth and see if Jesus told you the truth about everything else, because if he did, then he's probably telling you the truth about this. And that's kind of the basis that we're sharing this on. So I don't want to be offensive uh, to you. I just want you to understand, I'm just going to share with you what the Bible says and, and hope that it encourages you in the end. So another passage I would read is Acts 16.31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. It's that simple. The next passage is found in Romans 10. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, here's the deal. Two things. One, um, if you declare with your mouth that he is Lord. Now, that's important. It's not declare with your mouth that he was a historical figure, that he may have had good teaching, he was a good person, that he was Lord. That means God incarnate. And secondarily, that he is in charge of your life. The Lord, not just of everything, God, but the Lord of my life. All it means, and you will be saved, which means you'll go to heaven. Uh, so you declare that, and you believe in the resurrection, which is our hope that is life beyond this life. You just... Jesus, you're in charge of my life. I believe you did what you said you did. I, I ask for forgiveness for all I've done wrong, and I want you to be in, my, in charge of my life. And that's that simple. But it can't be that simple. But it is. It's that simple. It, so, you know, everybody, well, you know, you got to, I sit, hear people saying, yeah, yeah, okay, it's Jesus, but you've also got to. So it's the same problem with both arguments that I mentioned a moment ago. Here is the deal. If you believe that Jesus, that one solution, one opportunity to go, go to heaven is not enough, or if you believe you've got to have Jesus and you've got to memorize the Old Testament and you've got to give X amount of hours per week and you've got to give X amount of money to whatever religious organization, both of those have the same problem, and it is this. They believe that Jesus isn't enough. So let's look at it this way. One time I was, I was having lunch with an atheist uh, attorney, I know it's redundant. And, um, <laughs> and uh, just for fun, just for fun. And, uh, and so um, I brought George Wood along with me. You guys remember George used to be our teaching pastor with us. And, and I brought him because he was smarter. He, everybody around me was smarter, but he happened to be the one available. He came. And so we're talking to this guy. And I didn't believe there was a God. And he's pretty convincing. I got, I'm going to tell you the truth. And he's now one of, my, one of my good friends, by the way. This is the same guy's. 25 years ago, and, uh, and, and he said to him, well, it's pretty narrow of you guys to think you've got the right way, and, and well, let's start with it's not us thinking this, it's what Jesus said, so you're, you're dealing with him, not me, uh, and secondly, let's look at it from another perspective. Let's for a moment uh, suggest that maybe you're not the center of the universe, and your intellect isn't the greatest intellect, and you don't get to choose what's right and wrong, kind of the lie that Eve bought into, and um, let's kind of think for a moment, maybe from God's perspective, if there is a God and he created the heavens, the earth and all that there is, and um, he created this race of beings. And the only reason he created them was to love them, but he had to give them free will so that they could love him back because forced love is not love. And so you have to have the option to not love. And the, the race by and large chose not to love him 
to live in rebellion against him, and even sometimes to deny his very existence. And yet, you, as creator God, loved him so much, you came to earth to tell them that you loved them, to show them how life is supposed to be, and then to die so that all that they've done wrong can be forgiven, and they can be reconciled to you, and then be resurrected so you can communicate to them that this life on this earth isn't all there is, and then they say, but it's not enough. There ought to be more than one way. doesn't really work for that perspective as much, does it? Or let's say that same scenario, there is a God and he comes to him, And you say, oh yeah, 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 Jesus, Jesus, that's good, yeah. So Jesus and if you memorize this and you give this and you serve this, then you get to heaven. So Jesus isn't enough still. See, here's the answer to heaven. It's like the little kid in Sunday school. It doesn't matter what the question is, the answer is always Jesus. How are you going to get to heaven? Jesus. So D. James Kennedy, uh, uh, pastor in Florida many, many years ago, um, was interviewing presidential candidates. There was a group of religious people. They got to interview presidential, potential presidential candidates. I don't, know what, I don't understand what the forum was, but his question was this to each of them. If you stand before the pearly gates and God says to you, after you die, God says to you, why should I let you into my perfect heaven? What's your answer going to be? It's kind of become a famous diagnostic question. And many of the candidates said, well, because I'm a good guy. So let me get this straight. You are good enough that you can come into my perfect heaven and not taint it. That's how good you are? See, the only answer at those gates is, no, I'm not good enough. I, I know I don't deserve to be there. But, but when you came down and you died for my sin... And you said that I could be forgiven and reconciled. I'm, that's, all I gotta, that's all I've got to go on. It's your grace. But I believe in that, right? <laughs> By the way, the reason people are clapping, if you're someone who's a guest and you don't believe in God or don't understand Christianity, is because this is such a powerful truth to us. Because we know, we know, and you know too if you look deep enough, we're unworthy to go to God's perfect heaven. It's only because of what Christ did. And so that's how you get to heaven. So, well, doesn't just, doesn't just everybody go? I mean, we live, in a, we live in an enlightened world, a modern world. We understand things. All religions lead to the same place. Let me read another passage for you. Um, it's found in Matthew 5, 32, 34, and I'm going to skip down to 41. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. See, the indication there is not everybody goes to heaven. And so there is a popular former Christian preacher who I, and that's my assessment of him, former, um, at least at one point, um, seem to believe in truth, who says, oh no, you don't get it. God is a loving God. God wins. I mean, love wins. Well, the problem is that God is a loving God. He's also a just God. And if you were to deny, deny a part of his personality, the whole world would fall apart. Without justice, the world can't exist. We would just destroy ourselves. And without love, there'd be no reason to exist. God is both. And in this passage, we find the God of love who came so that we could choose him. But there's still justice if we don't. Well, how could a good, loving God send people away? He didn't. They chose to go away. 
right? If you don't choose to believe in Jesus, you didn't choose to go to heaven. All you've got to do is choose. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay it back. You just accept it. I choose to accept forgiveness and have it. So, by the way, if you don't like this, quit asking these questions because I will tell you the truth when you ask these questions. The difficulty of the exclusivity of the gospel is a different talk, but I would suggest that if there is the possibility of a place like heaven, then it would behoove us to take it serious and to study it and to find out what one must do to be there if it at all is possible that it exists, and it does. So that's how you get to heaven. So now let's, let's step back and let's look at some things. Heaven, what is it? So we all have this, you know, the cartoonists and the poets have kind of made heaven kind of wussy. Uh, is that an appropriate word? I don't know. Um, wimpy? Wimpy is better? Uh, but, you know, we're floating around on clouds playing harps. I don't even like harps. It's like jazz. It's not real music. Um, so, uh, what is heaven like? Let's talk about that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine something with me. So we're going to need to use our imagination a little bit. That's why we did the song earlier. To imagine heaven. I think we're supposed to think about heaven and it's supposed to just kind of stretch our brains. Okay? God told us just enough to freak us out a little bit and to intrigue us a whole lot. Okay? But it tells, the Bible, surprisingly, the Bible tells us a lot about heaven, just not everything about heaven, okay? So let me just, let's, let's just put your imagination cap on for a moment, and let's do some imagining. First, I want to imagine the place that you've been to on earth with the most vivid colors, the most vivid colors. So like one of the thoughts that comes to my mind, I, I, was, uh, I was in Virginia one time in the fall. It was unbelievable. I have never seen so many different colored leaves and they were bright, and they were intense, they were beautiful. Or maybe Ireland with their 57 different shades of green. Or, um, I don't know, where is the brightest color for you? Maybe it was the wildflowers during this spring in the desert. Where is the most intense colors you've ever, you've ever what is that place? I want you to think of that place. I want you to think next to the place that has the most comforting sounds. Like a, a, book, a brook kind of going over the rocks. Maybe birds singing out in, the, out in the forest. Maybe it's the waves lapping the shore. What is a comforting kind of sound? And the place next with the most delightful smells. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, what about like when you walk into the kitchen and there's fresh baked bread just out of the oven? Come on now. <laughs> right? Or even for me, and it's, people don't seem to identify, but fresh cut grass smells good to me. Or the smell, and I think we had this in California, the, the, the smell right after a rain, when it's cleared up and there's that freshness in the air, is it? Right? What is the smell, the place that has the best smell as you think about it? And then I want you to think of the place that has the best feel. And by this I mean sensory, by your sense of feeling. So maybe it's a, a warm ocean in Hawaii and you dive in on the first day and it's just beautiful. Or, or maybe it's a warm bed with flannel sheets and a cold mountain morning uh, in the snow. Uh, maybe it's a cool breeze in those same mountains in the summer when it's hot, but the breeze comes through the trees and you hear it coming and then you feel it. Those are all things, places that we've been. What does this have to do with heaven? Because heaven, like those places, is a place. And in heaven, we will experience with those same senses the most incredible things. That's what scripture teaches us. It is a place. Listen to this. In John 14, 1 through 7, it says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is 
Again, this earlier passage, the one I read first, um, Jesus warning them that he's going to go away, but it's okay because there's a reason for it. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? <coughs> and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And that's when Thomas says, I don't know the way. He says, you know me, and that's the way. And so I just want you, we pass over this. We immediately skip to something else. Like we just hear, it's like, yeah, okay, heaven, whatever. No, no, I want you to notice something in this passage. It says this, I am going there to prepare a place for you. You know, Jesus is pretty good at preparing places. You realize that he created everything, Right? He's the creator God. And that on earth, he actually kept creating stuff. He was a carpenter. He probably made dovetails like you've never seen. And now he has spent the last couple of thousand years preparing a place. See what I'm thinking? Yeah, he went and he did it. No, no, no. He's preparing a place. So Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I want to suggest you heaven is the happiest place. Period. See, when I do my prayers and I honor God and I thank God for all his goodness, oftentimes I include in that prayer time just something of the beauty of nature that he has given to us. I look at the mountains. Sometimes from my office, I can see the snow on the mountains. It's beautiful. I can see the green grass outside. It's beautiful. If God went to all the trouble to create stuff that is beautiful, we don't need it. We don't have to have it. The beauty of a flower, whatever. We don't have to. God gave it to us as a gift that every time we look at our eyes like a father giving his children gifts, we're supposed to go, well, that's cool. Thanks, Dad. I love that. If he went to all the trouble to create this incredible world in which there is beauty and it's only temporary, we are only here for a short time to experience it, and this earth is temporary. If he went to all that trouble for something temporary, imagine what he's preparing for forever. See, we're not supposed to think about heaven as, as it's a place. It's, grab the, grab the, seat, uh, the arm of your seat. Grab it. Squeeze it. It's hard. Take your feet. Tap them on the floor. That's real, Right? You don't have any doubt that that's there. You're not imagining that. It's not you have an altered state of mind. It's real. Heaven is a real place where we're going to experience things with our senses. It is real. We're going to have surprises. There are going to be things there for us that are, so we're not just floating around in an altered consciousness and just our spirits, okay? We are going to experience a real place called heaven that was created for us to be in forever. Um, there's also an indication in this passage that the, the word used is, so like, how would I explain this? The difference between like house and home. Heaven is not a place. It's a place that when you get there, you feel like you've been there before or it's home. There is a, a familiarity and a warmth involved with this description. There's also an interesting thing too here. And it says that there will be a new heaven and new earth. And this gets a little technical, but let me read this passage first. Revelation 21 one and two. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So, uh, let me address a little technical thing here. One of the questions we got was not only what happens and who goes there, but is there such a thing as purgatory? Purgatory is a Catholic doctrine. We don't believe in purgatory. But it's not quite as um, just off the wall as you might think for this reason. 
So there is some discussion about what happens when you die. Not do you go to heaven or not. That's, we know that's very clear. But what happens time-wise immediately after you die? So you probably have an opinion. But I might be able to challenge your opinion. So you, if you think that uh, you just go right to heaven, well, you're kind of right and you're kind of not right. Um, if you think there's a delay, well, you're kind of right and you're kind of not right. So here's the deal. We have passages that say, for example, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So your last breath here, your next breath is there. I believe that to be true. But we also have Jesus saying on the cross, today to the thief who believed in him, today you will be with me in paradise. But we also have teaching that says that when Christ returns, the dead in Christ shall rise. There is a resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth will descend. Well, now we've got a problem. Right? Because we have two different time frames. Here's, here are the possible solutions. One, is this too technical? Are we okay? You want me to keep going or just skip it? You okay? Third of you want to hear it. We're going to give it to you. <laughs> time, time may no longer be a factor once we no longer are on this earth. It may just disappear. That's possible. Probable. But the other thing is that the word for paradise, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, it's not the word for the ultimate full heaven experience in the new heaven and the new earth. Evidently, when we die, there is a possibility, one of the explanations is a possibility that we are separated into those who go to be with Jesus and immediately are with Jesus. But the new heaven and the new earth do not exist yet if time continues, Right? And then when Christ returns and there's a resurrection of the bodies, and that's when we receive our new resurrected body. I know it's highly technical. So if you die and you're a believer, you'll be with Jesus immediately. That's what you need to know, okay? For those who are more technical oriented, I just want to give you the possible explanations. There. Okay, good. Lost you on that one. I could tell. All right, fine. Uh, again, it's you guys asking the questions. So uh, it's going to be a real place. It's going to be a real city. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be lit by Jesus, by God himself. Um, by the way, the God you'll see is the person of Jesus, the resurrected body of Jesus. Um, and um, there'll be no moon, there'll be no sun, because the, there is this interesting inter uh, relationship between God and light. It's not purely symbolic. God is actually light in the sense that any other light is a created light that God created. But he is light. And so there will be no sun, no moon in heaven. God's presence will just... Remember that when Moses went up to the mountain and he came back down and his face was shining? It's because he had been slightly exposed to a little bit of God's glory. And there was light emanating from him as a result. Remember Christ and the transfiguration. Same kind of thing because God is light. Do you like a house with a lot of light in it? I do. I love windows. I like lots of light. Heaven is going to be lots of light. Those of you who like to go and sit in the dark, <laughs> maybe it would be a shade somewhere. I don't know. Here's what we know. Heaven is an incredibly wonderful place. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared a place, a real place for those who love him. By the way, in heaven, we will not only have a real place, we will have real bodies. There's an ancient heresy that was knocked down very quickly and very, very harshly by the early church fathers. And it was this, that our spirits are good and they last forever. Our bodies are just a shell for putting the spirits in temporarily. When we die, our spirits go on and our bodies discarded and we don't need it anymore. Not true. God created us to have both spirit and body. That's a part of what it means to be human. And in the new heavens and the earth, we will have spirit and we'll have a body. And it will be a body that can eat. Remember after the resurrection, Jesus ate 
did the breakfast picnic thing with the disciples on the lakeside there. Remember, he ate. He said to Thomas, feel, go ahead and feel, touch him. Go ahead and touch the nail scars, right? There will be real bodies. We'll have real bodies. We'll really eat in heaven. I know that. The, the, the marriage supper of the lamb, right? There will be no calories in heaven. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. I mean, yeah. um, there will be there will be sights like we've never seen. When John, in the book of Revelation, tries to, tries to describe heaven, he tries to use the most beautiful stones and gold and jewelry to describe what the walls and the streets in heaven would be like. Because the beauty, the, the vividness of the colors was something he couldn't quite figure out how to explain in the vision that he wrote about heaven. We're going to see sights we've never seen before. We're going we're gonna to smell things. I, I, smell is a big deal for me. I have a really strong sense of smell. My son keeps accusing me that because I'm losing my hearing, my smelling is getting stronger to make up for it. Um, I just, he's been a stinky kid his whole life, and I don't know. I, uh, I, we're going to smell things that are going to be incredible. Um, and we'll be able to, with these resurrected bodies. And by the way, Jesus' resurrected body was just like our bodies, except it was something more. It was a little bit more. It was like the body and some. Because remember, he ate, he could touch him, but he also didn't need to unlock doors. Right? So there may be another dimension we're not aware of that somehow our bodies can do things or be places that we're not familiar with here, and yet it's still going to be a body, like Jesus' body. Um, And with these bodies, we can hug those that we know and love. One of the questions is, will I know my loved ones there? Absolutely. Absolutely. If your loved ones went to heaven because they believed in Jesus, you will know them. You will recognize them. You won't only recognize them. You will recognize everybody. You will know everybody. Remember at the Mount of Transfiguration when the disciples Jesus had with them recognized the, the patriarchs of the faith? There was no introduction there. They just knew intuitively who they were. There is a sense in which in heaven it says we're going to know and be known. Now, that's good and bad. Uh, if you don't understand it, it's bad. I don't really want to be known. I want you to know the me that I present to you. I'm an introvert. I don't really want you to know me. You know what I'm saying? And you don't really want me to know you. I mean, really know you, right? And so to be known is a little freaky. But remember, we're in heaven. Here's what happens. When you ask God for forgiveness, you receive forgiveness through Christ. He says he takes all of your sins and they are thrown in the deepest sea and they are forgotten. You have nothing to hide in heaven because your bad stuff's gone. And every day in heaven is going to be your best day. You're never going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Probably won't go to bed for that matter because there's no night. You're not going to have a bad day. You're not going to have a bad, bad hair day. You're not going to... Every day is going to be your best day. You're going to be your best... Because all the stuff that dragged you down, pulled you back, it's gone. It's done. And so to know and be known is going to be one of the most wonderful things. And we will know those that we love. We will know them. One of the things that, uh, yeah, let's just think about that for a moment. Think about your best social setting. The, special, the thing you look forward to most. It might be, maybe it's Thanksgiving with your whole family there. I want you to imagine having Thanksgiving dinner, except for you've got 100 generations of your family there. It's a really long table. But you've got forever to get to know everybody. Let's say you're best, you're, a, you're, a, you're an extrovert, you love parties. You know, the marriage supper of the Lamb is a party. There are opportunities in heaven to party, to enjoy God, to enjoy food, to enjoy each other. Let's say your definition of your best 
social setting is a one-on-one conversation with someone you've always admired. Well, guess what? You have plenty of time to do that, including God himself. By the way, um, who will be in heaven? Those that you love that believe in Jesus. Absolutely. So another question we got was, what about my loved ones who don't go to heaven because they don't believe? The Bible says there's no sadness in heaven. As a matter of fact, it says to wipe every tear from your eye. Now, the actual original language doesn't, it's not like you got a tear and he wipes it off your cheek. This is kind of a weird, I know. But he doesn't wipe it from your eye. He wipes it out of your eye. What it really means is that he takes away any reason why you'd have to cry. How does that happen? I don't know. Some scholars suggest that maybe we won't remember those who didn't make it. Maybe it's as if they don't exist for us anymore because we can't have sadness in heaven. It says there's no tears. I don't know what will happen. Here's what I do know is I'm going to do my best to make sure everybody I love is going with me, right? I'm going to commit my life to that so I don't have to worry about that question, hopefully. And so I encourage you to do the same. You know who else will be in heaven is Jesus. That song was about what are you going to do when you meet Jesus? Because that's the most important, important person. As much as you want to see your family, I want to see my dad. He's going to try to get me to play golf. I'm not playing golf in heaven either. <laughs> Although I've heard you can hit a two iron there. But anyway. Um, what are you going to do when you stand before Jesus? I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm an idiot around famous people. I'm not gonna, you've heard me tell this, right? I'm an idiot around famous people because I, I, I don't want to be an idiot, so I'm an idiot because I don't want them to think I'm, you know, give me an autograph. I love all your, I love all your movies. So I act like I don't think, I don't know who they are, which is just stupid. <laughs> I remember this one setting. We're sitting next to a really, really, everybody in this room would know this movie star, really, really famous movie star. I'm sitting this close on a bench next to this guy in this setting. Hey, how you doing? And my wife's like, Introduce yourself, say, I love your movies, think you're a great actor. And I went, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's who you are, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't recognize him. What an idiot. He knows that I'm an idiot. I know my wife definitely knows I'm an idiot. I got a feeling I'm not going to be able to play off that meeting with Jesus. I got a feeling I'm going to be like, <laughs> I'm just going to faint. I just think I am. It's, you know, because it's so amazing my whole life. I'm going to ask him about this. I'm going to ask him about this. I'm going to ask him about I got a feeling when I'm in Jesus' presence, I'm not going to ask him anything. I'm going to be so overwhelmed and so grateful and so humble that I got a feeling I'm just going to be a puddle. You know what I'm saying? I I found, recently found where I originally learned it. It was in a book, a chapter of a book by John Ortberg. But my friend John Michael Magarwa, Bishop John Michael from Uganda, died unexpectedly in a car accident. We were out riding dirt bikes that day, and I was having trouble concentrating because I kept thinking this. Now he knows. Now he knows. I think that when I stand before Jesus, I will know. All of my doubts, my doubts about him, about faith, about me, they'll just melt away. They're going to be gone because I'm going to know. I'm going to know that the love that I've sensed and I read about, I'm going to be so, so kind of overwhelmed by it in that moment. I'm going to know. You know what I'm saying? I think that's what it's going to be like. Look forward to seeing my grandfather, my grandmother, and my other grandparents, and my dad. My grandmother had, uh, had eight children, only three of which survived. I was named after one of the ones who didn't survive. I don't know what my dad's hopes were, but um, I was named after one that died very young. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
One of the questions we were asked is, will infants who died, or young children who died, be in heaven? And the answer is yes, they will. But you may be surprised why. We always believe that. We used to always believe in a thing called the age of accountability. And it's kind of true, um, but in a nuanced way. The age of accountability, uh, which, by the way, is, is being challenged. One of the uh, dad of some young adults came to me last night. He said, you know that age of accountability? We can't even find it with the millennials. It's somewhere around 30. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe you said it either. I was upset. Um, <laughs> let me say it this way. Uh, yeah, how technical do you want me to be on this? We're all born with sin. It is inherited because we're born of sinful parents. We have sin. How could God let an infant come in who has a nature of sin, a sin nature? We all have that. How would God let a sin nature into his perfect heaven? And the answer is this, is that the sin, Christ died to wipe out those sins. The sin that keeps you out of heaven is a refusal to accept God's forgiveness on the cross. And there are several instances in the Old Testament where children, uh, both uh, pagan children who are sacrificed and Jewish children who are not of age yet are given a pass in a sense because they are not old enough to make a choice about God's plan. And because of that, they are invited. The early church called them children who passed through this world uh, without having having been touched by the world's sin. That's what the early church fathers called it. And so there is this sense in which because they never came to an age where they, ha- where they had the opportunity or the understanding to make a choice about Christ, that he, his grace is enough and the cross is enough to cover their nature of sin and be invited into heaven. So yes, I believe children and I believe scripture teaches that children, there's more s- to support it. I don't want to go into all of it. We'll be there. Now, let me, I want to just, before I, I'm done, don't get yourself, I'm not even close, but... Um, I want to talk about something really sensitive, but I I think it's a really hopeful thing. If indeed this creator God has welcomed children home to himself, young children, I want to, because one of the questions we got a lot of questions about was abortion. Abortion. I don't think there's any way to make a case from scripture that abortion is okay. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be political. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you've been through that experience. There's just no way to say it's okay. It's not. It's a sin. Now, it's not an unforgivable sin. The only unforgivable sin is the one you won't ask for forgiveness for. And so with abortion, we can come to God and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I sinned, please forgive me. And here's what God does. You're forgiven and he throws it away, right? But here's a cool thing. If that same God receives children unto himself, even children that died in the womb, guess who you're gonna meet in heaven? Right? Isn't that powerful? See, there'll be a day when I stand in heaven and I'm, I'm going to meet those five children my grandmother lost, one of whom has my same name. Some of you are going to stand in heaven and meet that baby that didn't make it full term, that miscarriage, or that you chose, made a mistake, and you're going to reconcile. And in heaven, there will be no sadness, there will be no anger, there will be reconciliation and joy. That's what heaven is. It is a powerful thing. Um, hmm. I don't know how many more of these I want to do. Maybe, maybe, 
we get to heaven, what do we do in heaven? We won't just sit around and play harps and ride on clouds. Who you are and what you're... Okay, when we get to heaven, you will take with you a couple of things. You will take with you your character, who you've become in Christ, the character you've developed while on this earth in a relationship with Christ, and your capacity for loving and serving in his kingdom. Who you are and what you have developed the capacity to do by way of loving others. And based on those, we will get two things, rewards and responsibilities. We'll be rewarded and we'll have responsibilities. Um, rewards. So there is this thing called a beam of judgment. Everybody goes, well, once I get into heaven, why am I getting judged again? It's not a right and wrong judgment. It's a rewards judgment. And so all that you've done supposedly for God is going to kind of get put to the test of fire. And stuff that you had wrong motives and bad attitudes about, it's going to get burned up and throw away. But anything you've done truly out of any degree of love for God and response to God's goodness is going to stand and you'll be rewarded. I don't have time to do this. There are five different crowns you can get in heaven. And you say, well, I don't have any ego anymore. I don't need to be in competition. Why would I care about the crowns? Because as the elders uh, in Revelation do, we probably will take those crowns and give them back to him and say, just thank you for letting me serve. It's just one more gift we get to give to the God who has been so good to us and created this incredible heaven for us. So... In heaven, you'll be you, I'll be me. You'll still have your personality, although redeemed and glorified. That means, I'm, you know, all the bad stuff taken out. I'm not going to have much left, I'm going to be honest with you. But, um, <laughs> and you'll still have your gifts and your abilities. And based on those, you'll get responsibilities. Um, singers are going to sing, writers are going to write. Here's my problem. I'm a little concerned. I am basically an evangelist. <laughs> that means I tell people about Jesus. But since we're all going to be in his presence, I've decided in heaven I'm going to be a singer. <laughs> Moy, watch out, buddy, because I'm coming. <laughs> You'll still be you. I'll still be me. But we'll be redeemed with all the bad stuff. We'll be our best selves. And God will say, okay, you developed this capacity. I'm going to have you do it over here. If you like studying rocks, imagine how many planets you can study and be instructed by the one who created them. You're still going to have interests. I'm going to learn to create perfect dovetails in heaven because Jesus was a carpenter. He's going to know how to do that. You're going to learn in heaven. You're, matter of fact, if you read the parables about, you know, he gives out this amount of money and then you do something with him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant because you've been faithful in a little bit. I'm going to make you ruler over much. That's an indication. What you do on the earth is going to prepare you for what he's going to give you in heaven to do. Another one, he says, oh, you did great with that. I'm going to make you ruler over 10 cities. I don't know what the government's going to look like in heaven. All I know is that we will have responsibilities there. You'll be you, I'll be me, but we'll be better. And it's going to be great. I think it's going to be wonderful. So one of the questions we got was, what age am I going to be in heaven? I've decided 72. Because I'm planning on peaking at about 72. You're not buying that one at all. The other question we got is, will there be, will there be pets in heaven? The answer is dogs, yes, cats, no. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> Except for one particular dog that my family had, and he didn't go into heaven. He's headed a whole other direction. Actually, I have no idea. I believe there might be animals in heaven. I don't know if they'll be your pets, but there might be. There are great theologians who believe that to be true. I have no idea. If that's our greatest worry, we're in pretty good shape, right? Thank you for letting me talk about heaven. I find it 
uplifting. I find it encouraging. I find it challenging. But at the end of the day, I find it joyful because what little I can imagine is nothing compared to the reality. And this book has never lied to me about anything. And Jesus has never lied to me about anything. And it is therefore true. We have that to look forward to. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you. You are so good to us. We do not deserve heaven. We cannot earn it or pay you back for it. And yet, because you have been so good, Lord, we accept it. Your grace is amazing. And so today, we thank you that we have nothing to fear, not even in death itself, because what is on the other side, for those who have allowed you to save them, what is on the other side is so much better than anything on this side even. I thank you for that, Lord. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.